0: Welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Daemonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul
1: Frederick.
0: All right. We're live. Greetings, friends and fellow daemons. And welcome to another episode of Daemonosophy 2.0. And tonight, I have two very interesting guests with me. I have Season Cole and Tom Cruise. I, I mean, Froderdekus. you <laughs> <laughs> he new. Hey, and so they are involved with the forthcoming... Black Flame PDX Festival, which is coming up here in April, and we're going to talk about all the amazing stuff that's going to happen there. So, hey, what's up?
1: What's up?
2: <laughs> all of the abnormal things are up as usual. All that's- the things in the sky, all the asteroids that season likes to count on.
0: Oh, that's awesome so so tell me about the festival so you guys are involved with this festival um and i was out there last year i think we were all out there last year um for the, the flambeau noir and now this year there's a new thing going on and tell us what it's all about
1: okay yeah we've done a, a slight reorientation uh have rebranded and are using a similar model of application but adding in a few implements of intent like integrity for one um super substantiality number two uh tm paul i don't know if that is actually a word you made up but i quote you all the time on it now I, i learned it from discoursing with you uh so thank you for that one um and a few other people that are a part of the production now um and helping out with uh, organizing. So hopefully that will come together a lot more uh, fluidly this year. Last year there were a lot of surprises and hiccups and weird complications at the level of production that were unexpected and fully left-hand path initiatory things to go through. So uh, the event definitely lives up to its uh, name. (laughs) <laughs> and um, it definitely brings everything that it's about, which is another thing um, in doing these events that I've learned is the talismanic potential that they contain, and um, having the vantage point in production is being able to like see how a number of different things are going and people are affected by that and, and kind of getting a, a more full comprehension of of what the event is doing on other layers of the experience. Um, so trying to also get more intentional and contained with that. So um, the only, I would say, significant difference, it's, it's still in Portland, but um, you know, different location, we're refining a lot of things and just getting a better handle on how to move forward um, with the intent and how to better, uh, create a vessel to contain it and all of the people within it, which are also, you know, like a whole other, uh, what would that be factor? Like everyone coming into the event has like their own energy and essence and, and like getting them all in a room in an event together is a strange stew, you know, to be, um, trying to, what is that? Like, um, uh, manage and effectively move forward, if
0: that makes any
2: sense to you. Uh, Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to point out is, uh, you know, part of what the joy is with this experience, at least for me, is getting so many potent people in the same room, not just the presenters, but the attendees too. We have some amazing talent, we have some amazing interest, and we're not used to being around people like us. That's part of why we're on this path. So, you know, it can be kind of like a too many cooks situation trying to wrangle everybody together. But in the end, you know, as long as we don't get divisive, I think everything has the potential to really eclipse the dominant forces just very slowly.
1: Yeah. And as long as everybody stays, uh, what's that like committed to the greater vision. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's serving the self through the actualization of this event. Um, and, you know, that operating at its highest level is actually contributing to the individual in a number of different ways as the individual chooses to apply or they need and they, they don't know yet is another uh, fun plot twist.
0: So this is still, do you, you still consider this a uh, a left-hand path sort of event?
2: Most definitely.
0: That's awesome. And so I also... um agree, from what I've seen, the, the caliber of people that you have uh, presenting at it this year is really strong.
1: About a month before Flambenoir last year, <coughs> which is really interesting, and, and being able to like look back on that seems very um, aligned with how I was more potently forging my own path in this regard and connecting more strongly uh, with the black flame and left hand path oriented, like more um, explicitly left hand path oriented designs. And it's interesting just based on like my initiatory level with the OTO as well, um, how this kind of corresponds with coming out more about who and what you are. um, And is very much um, inextricably connected to the plight of that initiation. And, um, we do have one more notable OTO speaker on the lineup for this next year, who's a friend that lives in Seattle, and uh, he's got quite, um, uh, I mean, he's, he's been involved in OTO and AA for about 25 years, and I think he was the youngest person uh, a, that became a part of the Electoral College to e- exist to date within the OTO, um, so and he,
0: who's that?
1: Michael Coulson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, really knowledgeable and well-informed on all things OTO. Great guy. Um, and the, the subject matter he's speaking on is also pretty relevant to part of the intention for this year being that last year we had a uh, male dominant lineup of speakers and we, wanted in the future to involve more women. And there was kind of this call out at some point, like, you know, the women just need to stand up and actually be able to show up. like. And a lot of, you know, we'd invited an equal amount of women and men last year, but um, there weren't very many women able or willing to participate. So this year we have about 50-50 uh, on the lineup of speakers. And then Michael Coulson's topic is actually about Leah Hershwig, uh who was, you know,
2: Hersig. Like,
1: her, Hersig, sorry. <laughs> um, but that's a really interesting story, like her relationship with Crowley and how she actually had become the incarnation of Babylon and was his Scarlet Woman. And, you know, they had this really intense, transgressive relationship. And he goes, into that in detail and is focusing more on the transgressive attributes, which is a left-hand path concept. Um, and you know, really how to utilize that. And, and that's also part of our intention is, you know, like being able to actualize these transgressive acts in a magical context in a way that is, um, and I don't know if this is possible, but it's an experiment in a way that's more conscientious as opposed to reckless. Uh.
0: That's awesome. You know, I probably should have said, instead of saying OTO, I should have said thelemic uh, influence. Yeah, that's what I to say. Right, right. That's really what I meant to say uh, <laughs> in, in terms of... Um, You know, the ideas, Um, I think that's more significant when you're looking at a gathering like this, at a present at a festival like this, like presentations like this. What is really important is the ideas that are being exchanged, not so much. Um, schools or organizations, because there's always like, a, oh well, you know, I know them, or you know, I yeah, I knew some guys once, and then we had a falling out, and blah blah blah. And it's like, well, that all that that's all like kind of a different realm, right? That's all something that happens kind of in a different different world than a gathering like this, where really it's a um, it's a blending and in a, and a um, an exchange. Um, it was a Greek word, agora. You know about like this meeting place type thing where where um, ideas are exchanged and, and and to me that's what more the function of of something like this is is an exchange of ideas but a certain kind of ideas a certain caliber of ideas right so this Correct. is going to be the same like thing as like a coffee house where people sit around and philosophize and you know wiseacre about things um, yes and, there's, and there's the coffee wa-
2: is especially pertinent too like this is actually what used to be known as a salon in the Renaissance era. It's a a gathering of reactionary, sorry, not reactionary, but revolutionary thinkers, uh, in a place, all at the same time, almost like a temporary autonomous zone. Um, And it's what I wanted actually from OTO, and didn't receive. Um, That's that's another story. But the the cool thing about this is we're going to be bouncing ideas off of each other, uh, off of our own internal monologues, uh, to actually have a spark of. Uh, inspiration that we may not normally get in our our solitary existences because we're we're so as left-hand path, uh, you know, I don't want to say followers, but practitioners of the left-hand path, we're naturally solitary by nature. You know, we're we're not used to being in groups of like-minded individuals. We're always the adversary. So this will be a nice thorn in our side metaphorically to actually create some some progress.
0: That's an excellent point. And you mentioned uh, Total Autonomous Zone. Have you read that book, that Hawking Bay?
2: Yes. I did find some rather unsavory uh, elements to his character, but the work itself is fine, yeah.
0: Like uh, <laughs> what kind of unsavory elements?
2: Uh, I, I found out that he was kind of along the lines of the, uh, who was it, Geisen or Ginsberg, that was in the NABLA. Uh, there's oh. a connection there with Hawking Bay, too. So
0: I didn't know that. I had no idea.
2: Yeah, so I, I kind of shelved shelved my recognition of that author, but I recognized the project.
0: Oh, okay, all right. Well, uh, I guess I'll leave that book wherever wherever it was. I'm not sure where it is anymore. But uh, I remember reading that book at one point, Total Autonomous Zone, and that was like very uh, at at the time of my life when I read that book, I thought it was like very significant, um, absolutely, very, like in the co- whole concept of uh, um, you know spiritual anarchy, um, uh, you know, complete complete and total radical individualism, um, which is something that's so um, so missing today, right? Yeah, I mean, um, and, to me, I and,
2: almost equate it to Discordia, if you're familiar, like, we must stick apart. <laughs> that was our old slogan.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And it's like those those ideas that came out, and and and, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the whole Taz thing, that's a product of uh, of the 60s, of this period in the 60s, before the 60s got kind of, mowed over and and blurred with like a sort of flower children sort of like collectivist sort of thing but in the the early part of the 60s there's like all these like radical just radical individualism ideas through taz and then of course you had like uh the church of satan like a total radical um radical take on individualism so with all of that you know thinking of all of that thinking of these past movements and how they faded faded away um, and 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 gone underground, uh, perhaps for a few decades. What do you think is going on right now? Because you're 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 now steering this this new left hand path conference out there, and there's been like I don't know five or you know four or five of these things going on for the last few years. Just recently, what does that mean in the in the big picture of things in the big aeonic? picture of things what does that all mean
2: it means that something very focused is breeding beneath the feet of the populace which will erupt at the next opportunity
1: and we're riding the wave of that current we're just tapped into it and we're like comets on its edge and we're like just willing to uh create a container to carry that light uh for however long it's you know, serving
2: its purpose. Yeah, I, we're, not, what? we're not a bunch of, you know, like Satan worshippers or anything like that. We're, we're more in line with, like you were saying, individualism. We're, we're radical people that are nonconformists and they're even nonconformists among the nonconformist group. Like that's, that's the whole point. We, we're not going to be responsible for any new satanic panic, but we are going to change the dominant paradigm. Well,
1: and, and also it's speaking to, like, a greater truth in us. And this is the kind of party that I'd want to go to. And if the moment is right for that and I can see opportunity to help that blossom, I'm I'm just jumping on it. I have the availability and accessibility at the moment and the willingness and the nerve. Uh, so, um yeah, it's, it's just like all of these things lining up and being able to recognize that moment and striking while the iron is hot.
0: Yeah, Anton LaVey famously once said that there's no greater uh, force in the universe than an, an idea whose time has come.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're nearly there.
0: <laughs> so that's what we're trying to figure out is, has, is, the, is the time right. And, and, and there's interesting things. There's definitely some interesting things going on. So here's another change I want to ask you about is that this the 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 name of this conference um you're calling it black flame um can you talk about that what does that mean and 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 how did you arrive at the decision to frame it in such a way
1: It's it's like carrying the um, the spark of the individuated truth. And this, this, yeah, dovetails into what you were just asking. And, uh, it it seems I can really only speak for myself, but, um, in, in how I perceive what is going on culturally and in contrast to what I'm experiencing, I, you do see a lot of divisiveness among people, and a lot of desire for what would that be? Um, a personal truth to come through. A lot of passion, yet being expressed through old modalities and somebody else's script, and uh, a lot of people playing roles that you know seem ill-suited to them. Yet it's uh, a venue for them to be able to pass or to channel their passion. And just in certain friends that I know that have gotten caught up in different waves of mass hysteria on one side or the other, of whatever the issue is, and knowing them as people and then seeing them sort of get possessed by this thing, yet seeing, okay, there's a greater truth that's trying to speak through them, waving that flag or whatever the banner for whatever issue that is, is. And um, as somebody you know, I've been writing my entire life, uh, I've always explored my relationship with authorship and um, how, how I express and utilize language and uh, how things are already being expressed and playing with my relationship to that to create my own story or truth and to be able to write my own script um, and to speak from a place that is authentic and something that isn't just rehashing, uh, you know, uh, already expired moments. And with the black flame, that has come into my vocabulary within the past few years. And the more I've explored that subject matter, um, the more I've found I mean, it makes sense in, um, uh, like, esoteric terms being that, you know, we all have that divine spark that we carry within us, and and there's a personal responsibility to cultivate that and to grow and develop it, uh, and to also see how that is a reflection of what would be a greater truth, but how what, what you're doing with it uh, also adds to the greater truth in a way that whatever the universal experience hasn't already developed in, in the way that you in your particular um personage can and, and would and uh the you know the commitment and the desire passion and capability to apply that and to further it and so
2: I'm, uh, oh good
1: oh yeah so I'm always like living on the horizon of myself in general just as like a crazy you know uh eccentric artist and seeing how that uh, corresponds with these esoteric and occult concepts. And what has happened to me in the course of the past couple of years in going to these types of events and exploring more Luciferian ideology and identifying with that, uh, how potent that's been. And the desire to really uh, awaken that as something that is more uh, recognized and actualized in culture something that has a greater what would that be like a greater foothold um, and something that I mean if you know it has to have larger social context that would in my opinion be helpful, in terms of how people relate, if they can recognize and identify this spark in others and encourage that and give it space, you know, and just be like, well, that's some, whatever weird shit they're into, but it's totally okay, however they're choosing, you know, to express it. Um, But so for the event, it's really just allowing everyone to have this individuated uh, character and um, encouraging its development and encouraging that sparking and growing in whatever form it does and shooting off in whatever creative uh, offshoot it might as inspired by the event or connections through it it's it's creating like a beacon for that thing to become more potent in culture you know as as in in like the undercurrent of culture that that we navigate and also within all of the individuals that are attracted to this
2: like for me um i I had a vision of uh ignis Fatuus or will of the wisp and that was that was my personal vision with this event and i wanted to bring this into some imagery that we're working on going forward uh, my my thought was similar to the the Naudis rune uh we acquire strength through folly we as left-hand path people we are drawn away from the beaten path we are looking at something shiny in the forest in the woods we get led astray and through that, that happy accident, that happy distraction, that happy challenge, we learn, we make mistakes, we conquer all from that. If we did not get led away from the straight and narrow, away from the status quo, we wouldn't be who we are today. So to me, that that's why that will-o'-the-wisp, that, that beacon is such an important force that I want to invoke with this event. So I, I see that as an important principle. Mm-hmm.
1: That's how you find out what you're made of, too. Like, you don't really know who you are or what you're made of until you encounter those challenges and until you're drawn away from what's known and have to explore and discover and create yourself in a context that isn't already understood by you. And that's how you even develop, like, a greater uh, sense of trust in your capability, you know, for moving forward in any context. Um, So, yeah, like, strength of character... And just strength of, of, you know, force of the individual is also... self yes. yeah Yeah, and these weird fucking things, though, too, that aren't really understood. Like, uh, Gary and I are really tapped into that. It's like all, all that stuff that exists in liminal spaces, in unspoken places, in the darker truths of reality, in the unexpressed uh, layers of ourself. And those also having value and rich potential and the ability to explore that and, and own those places and, um, give them, give them a job and also bring them into the greater context and story and, and allow those things to flourish as well within us.
0: Yeah. You know, there's an accentuation of it. Uh, you, you, I think you both have like, um, you both have like touched on this and the idea is that, as as one individual as a you know left hand path um you know magician does their work in the world and and as as a result of that is necessary that um the the soul rubs against rubs against the the grain and the inertia of 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 the universe out there there's sort of a you know there's like a grating of it and in as that happens and one gains from that and you know to use the fire metaphor as their uh, will flames to life as their soul like flames to life it ignites it ignites and it illuminates to where it can be a benefit to others right um and 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 this is how like some people will 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 um disagree with the left-hand path collectivists will disagree with the left-hand path and say well no man is an island you know, and, you know, you got to have, you know, you got to have friends and stuff. it's like, well, no, I know that. I understand that. Left-hand path is not about n- never having any friends and not talking to anyone and just like, you know, closing yourself up in a room. No, it's not about that at all. It's about your values. It, it It's about your values ultimately, um, and where you place your center of gravity, but still absolutely, um, that you exchange, that you, that you do these things and and you illuminate so that others find it and that you also find what others have done. And I mean, there's a, obviously there's a, I mean, there's a, there's a spiritual lesson in this. There's an initiatory lesson in this, but there's also just a very practical, you know, Aristotle talked about like, uh, the word uh, techne meaning like technology and how like this is the result of people like working on stuff and coming up with new things. Individuals make new things and then other people gain from that and build upon it. And so the whole of, of, of you know, whatever you want to call it, society, you know, group of people will grow over time uh, as a result of the, the fueling of these powerful individuals. And it's ultimately what... Um, what we would be calling left-hand, what we would consider left-hand path, um, you know, individuals forging forth, you know, you know, carrying carrying that carrying that torch off into the darkness. They're the ones that actually um, are actually helping the world go in a in a better in a better place to help helping to make the world like a better place for for other people, um, other people who want to be free. At
2: least. Yeah. I mean, you can't have fire without friction. That's, that's one thing that I hold very dear to my heart. And you can also consider this work that we're doing this is our pyrotechnie. This is our work of fire to bring everybody together, united as individuals, to oppose that which stifles the, the individual will. Uh, we're, we're here to be happy thorns in the side of society
1: yeah and as like a long-standing anarchist more a libertarian leaning anarchist but uh with trickster tendencies um i've i've always like had a, a a certain animosity towards societal structures and that was expressed a lot more flagrantly in my youth and now what I'm realizing is what is better than just like going out in the world and, uh, you know, blowing shit up or committing petty vandalism or whatever that you think is actually um, making, you know, a statement but ultimately doesn't render very efficient or effective results. You know, it's just more stuff to clean up and really just fuels. Ah, uh, the mechanism that you know is how things are already set up in um, our uh, consumerist culture. Um, to just light your own fire, <laughs> to enhance your own spark—it's like, oh, become a stronger individual instead of you know just trying to um, tear everything down around you or to deconstruct structure. Right. Yeah, like. With this external uh, aim, it's like okay. Well, what if you just yeah. actually invert that and strengthen yourself instead of
0: yeah. No, no, no. That's I mean, that's that's nihilism. You're talking about like nihilism there, and and you know, I did that. I went through that. You know, I I went through a huge like uh, punk rock phase and and just destroyed things and um, you know got got in in lots of trouble as a result of it. And actually, it didn't really mm-hmm. help me that much. But you know. Um, there's there's a point where you start to realize when you're looking at all these societal structures. I mean, when you're younger, you see all these societal structures and then and and if you just reject it, then you just say, you know, fuck all structure. But That's the man. Right, it's all, it's all the man. Um, but then you get to a point where you realize, well, no, there's different structures. There's, there's societal structures that are voluntary and then there's societal structures that are uh, forced that are, that are coercive and that are forced upon us. Um, and, and still, um, so, so, so then you kind of start thinking about what you're going to like focus your, your attention on. You start thinking what is really like something that's like deleterious to me. Cause there are forces in the universe that are deleterious to us as individuals. There is like mechanical and parasitic forces out there that do, uh, Sock and feet upon us, I, I believe that, and so part of like um, part of the the, the the path, part of that illuminating the darkness is becoming aware of that is becoming aware of like all of these forces that are that are happening around you rather than just angrily um, violently like you know uh, rejecting everything and fighting against everything. you start to become aware of 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 of, of what 's really happening. And I, I think simply in that awareness, simply by becoming aware um, of these things, you you, you gain uh, some sort of um, independence from it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, but- I mean, we can look to Shakespeare. You know, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them.
1: And my understanding of that as well, uh, once, like you were saying, once you're aware uh, that you get you know, a, a certain sovereignty from that thing having authority or control over you. And I mean, this is how I felt about fears my entire life, I always confront my fears head on because I don't want anyone to have, uh, and, and that fear's not going to be the boss of me, like nobody has authority over me. So I'm, I'm willing to take a lot of risks in my life just to not be my own fears bitch. And when, um, exploring this concept that was thrust upon me quite violently at a very young age and, you know, a a magical context, um, I, I, came to understand the thing that I felt was coming to feed on me was actually my own power that I hadn't actualized yet. It was my own misunderstanding of what I was coming up against and, um, when i started strengthening myself magically is when that thing like i i had i was riddled with visits from the night hag for about six years after attempting my first spell at the age of 15. and i mean this was like a horrible like i i didn't sleep for like six years some demon was trying to attack me getting getting into my body that i'd have to fight for night after night and it was really intense but like when i started getting more training and when i got my first um what was it like uh attunement or initiation in in Reiki is when I actually started gaining some control over those things coming in and that's when I realized that I was calling on power and doing my first spell and I wasn't ready for it at the time couldn't um couldn't receive that power and so it was coming up against all of like my own psychological constructs that weren't um uh, weren't aligned with the power that I was calling on or calling into myself. And so that reframed and recontextualized what I had previously experienced as quote unquote evil. And, and at the time that I started doing that, I was actually uh, an atheist, which didn't make any sense. I'm 15, an atheist doing spells. Like how does that, I didn't have my cosmogony (laughs) sorted out Like, So there was actually even no room in my psyche, you know, for that type of power to show up. So it, it just, I experienced it as evil. And so that that was a great lesson for me in understanding that a lot of these, these forces out there that seem to be uh, pitted against us or after us in some form or another, uh, once you get yourself to a point or place where you're developed and able to either own that or recognize that or see that, or um, when... Uh, you're, you're no longer afraid of a thing that is because you're familiar with that in whatever context that might take form, um, is, is when you're actually not in a position to be that thing's prey.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, it's calling back to the nowadays rune. You know, we, we acquire strength from difficulty, challenge, and adversity.
0: Yeah, and when you you realize that um, it's it's the struggle is really with like yourself, with an aspect of yourself. That's what um, you know. Luke Skywalker discovered when he went into the the cave on Dagobah. In, in Empire Strikes Back, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. No, like well, yeah. There's like a cave, and like Yoda says, you know, or Luke's like, what what's in that cave? And y- Yoda says only what you take with you or something like that. And then he goes into the cave and it's Darth Vader. And so he gets into a, you know, a a lightsaber fight with Darth Vader. It's like in slow motion and he knocks him down and cuts off his mask. And it's really underneath the mask. It's really Luke's own face. And he realizes he's really struggling with himself. And 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 that's where it changes. It changes the whole course of his initiation from there. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean that—that that is essentially what happens when you when you attempt to cross the abyss. So yeah. that that's essentially like when when you're a babe of the abyss and then you want to create that crisis and see what you've actually got with you still. It's kind of it's kind of also in the in Jodorowsky's works if you've seen Holy Mountain.
0: Uh, only about it, like five or six times yeah. in the last. So the, month. the
2: main, I guess the main like anti-protagonist. I guess you can consider him as such. Is. Uh, you know, confronting his his demons in various different manifestations in the film, but it, it turns out that, you know, in, in his neck, there was actually an octopus that he pulled out, and that was actually symbolic of him removing all of the negative things that he didn't need so yeah. he could carry on, and he cast it to the sea.
0: Now, that's one thing about Jodorowsky, is, like, um, he's he really has Gurdjieff. He really has Gurdjieff, like, fully incorporated into his ideas, which is so rare. A lot of people just don't, they don't, they don't grok Gurdjieff. And a part of it is that negativity thing, right? Cause that's a big thing with, uh, with Gurdjieff and, and Ospensky is like the struggle with, uh, with negative emotions, struggle with like negativity. And a lot of people, when they read, they, they learn about that part of that system and they, they won't, they won't go any further with it. They're, oh no, I need my negativity. My negativity is good, you know. There's something they they confuse negativity with honesty. They're like, I tell you know I tell it like it is, right? And it's
2: very romantic,
0: right? Exactly. But uh, yeah, no, that's the thing with Jodorowsky. Um, There's that one scene where uh, the initiate, like, he climbs way up into the tower and he goes in, and Jodorowsky's there and he's wearing this white white suit. He's got this like brim hat on, and he gets up and he's like walking, and it's like you know he's doing like this kung fu stuff, like super slow. And he's got an enogram, which is like the Gurdjieff symbol this big gold like enagram that he's wearing. And it's like that is like so profound. I mean you don't see that. You don't see any other occult, occultish, um, you know, Thelemic or left hand path things really, you know, that prominently um paying tribute to Gurdjieff. And that's that's something that I like about him.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean also a great uh bringer of the notion of alchemy into the public consciousness. That, that movie was funded by John Lennon and Yoko Ono, and it's got a line in that same scene you were just referring to, which is your excrement, your excrement you can change yourself into gold.
0: Yeah, yep.
2: That's the principle of alchemy right there. That's, that's essentially the beginnings of the notion of a philosopher's stone. So.
0: That's awesome. So, um, so these are the sorts of ideas that people will encounter if they come to the uh, Black Flame PDX Festival.
2: And this is just our intellectual side. We also have art. We have performance art. We have amazing dark ambient occult musicians coming, uh, as well as throat singers. Like, it's more than just the the geekery here.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and art, like, because... Um, and quoting, again, Helene Art, <laughs> that, uh, like, art is one of the... Uh, ways in which the black flame is best expressed so we also being artists want you know the entirety of this event to have a creative leaning and for the black flame to also be represented in those other variety of formats that it can come through
2: we are a cultural force not a think tank
0: <laughs> that's awesome so there's going to be artwork there's going to be uh, vendors there
2: yep Vendors, artists, uh, amazing musicians, my personal heroes. I'm bringing over from Europe in aid or in odd. Cool. It's going to be a completely transformative experience. Cool. And,
1: then, and yeah, these, like, badass, this, like, coven of, like, badass, bloodletting women who uh, are from L.A., coven of ashes. And so they do pretty uh, intense, transgressive, uh, bloody stuff that's beautiful
0: uh. Yeah, I saw For some the of their stuff apart. online. They look pretty radical.
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: It's kind of like if the new Suspiria movie didn't suck.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, so you did not like the new Suspiria.
2: <laughs> terrible, completely no, no. terrible.
1: <laughs> the dancing is good.
0: That's what. Well, okay, good, so I, it. I thought the yeah. dancing in it was like was that was like much better. I mean, it, when you go back and watch the original now, it's like. They the dancing was just kind of a subscript thing there's just i mean the main character she just there's just one time when she dances and she's like oh i'm so weak from dancing and falling down but yeah the new one had like really powerful dancing um and you my wife my wife didn't, it, just hated it she loves like the original suspiria um yeah, it's a total mess I'm, I'm like kind of like i'm kind of like Battlestar Galactica with it Like I, like initially I was like I hated the new Battlestar Galactica I'm like fuck that Who do they think they are Changing you know Starbuck into a woman Is just It doesn't make any sense um, But then I watched the whole series And it's you know what I, I love both of them um, And they're both They're both different I feel the yeah, same way I mean, about like, um, About uh, Dr. Aquino Michael Aquino's um, Satanic Bible Right um, Correct And yep. Anton LaVey, You know I like them both They both have their own place They both like um, have something to say about the storyline, but I feel that way about the Suspiria too. And I liked—I know a lot of people hate this—I liked the fact that it was in East Germany. That they added this backstory to it about East Germany, because to me that gave it a context. The only cause what me, always, what bothered me about the original one was like this. Just it's like someone's dream. It's like so well, like that's, stylized that's that like where is that's this little- even happening? You know. That That's kind of
2: like why it's so unsettling and why it's so powerful. It exists in this liminal space, which is right. very similar to what we go through in initiations. Uh, whereas the new one, it almost seemed to, like, in a forced situationalist uh, modus, get thrust into suddenly the Bader Meinhof. Like, how is that even pertinent to right. anything know, know, that's know. going on? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I know, but I thought it was still a powerful story. I like that there was context. and here, Well, here's another thing. This is... Um, we're, I know we're getting off subject, but but follow me here for a moment. I think this is like... Uh, I think it's going to be worth it. Um, the reason they changed the storyline is because nowadays... Look, when they made the original Suspiria, a witch was uh, basically a monster, right? Uh, that she has to kill her in the end, right? The witches are going to kill her, and so she kills the bad witches... And gets away in the end. Okay. That's that's how we made movies about witches and devil worshippers in the 60s and 70s. Now we like to make movies where the witch is like the heroine, right? She's like the hero. I thought like that movie The Witch is like a great recent example of it. Well, it ends up in the end, she ends up being the hero, and she ends up, you know, being the witch and everything. And that's what people want to see now. They want to see the witch win. In the end, but they want the witch to be a good guy, and so I mean the 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 ethics of it, the morality of it gets all confused. But I think that's like part of it. Part of the reason they the the storyline went the direction it did is because nowadays people want to see the witch like be the the winner at the end, and that's what that's what happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a valid point, thing. but also
2: like. The, on the flip side of that exact concept, though, you actually have the main antagonist being very much akin to a more basic 70s schlock villain, a more like explicit form of the witch. Whereas in the original, the the quote-unquote witch was actually less of what one would consider a witch and more of a, a an inhabiting spirit, an entity that is not clearly defined and exceeds by subtlety, which I think is far more potent than something as base as gore. Which I think this movie ultimately was, uh, with a little bit of you know fancy dance and rope bondage.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I'm not going to disagree.
1: Well, I would say it also kind of falls in line with the concept of the anti-hero, so uh, like the the hero that is the one that is mm, um, not necessarily falling in line with the societal uh, ethics, but is doing something for a greater purpose that is generally adversarial to culture and and standards as they exist.
2: Yes. Uh, One thing I want to point out real quick is this exactly is in line with Joseph uh, Campbell's notion of the hero's journey, which is separation, tragedy, And then you actually return as the hero. So separation, tragedy, return. And that is actually a a fundamental uh, way of achieving the the goal that the left-hand path lays out for for people. Separation from the status quo, a challenging event, and then the triumphant return. Which is also shown in occult principles as EIO or Isis, uh, Apophis, Osiris.
0: And there's also, with the Joseph Campbell epic hero, there's also a descent into the underworld, too, isn't there?
2: Correct, yep. Yeah.
0: See, that's like when Luke, when Luke goes into the cave in Dagobah. That's his descent into the underworld, or he confronts his uh, alternate self. Yeah, big,
2: there, is, there is Osiris. It's
0: all connected.
2: <laughs>
0: so let's talk about, let's talk about uh, some of the speakers that you have there. So, uh, Jason Miller. Yeah. Who's Jason Miller?
1: (laughs) That's an inside joke that Paul's not inside of. (laughs) It's a what? (laughs) He's, like, referencing a conversation we were having in a thread with Helene Arts.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, who the heck is Jason Miller? And she, like, posts this image of a rabbi. I'm like, if you're inviting that guy, you're out. (laughs)
1: No, no. I mean, I don't know. I don't I think Gary might not have been that informed about Jason Miller prior to this event. It it was my idea. I wanted to invite him. Helene Arts reached out to him and she's been communicating with him and um yeah, like she she was able to uh confirm his presence and he's been a longstanding would that be like um figure i mean in you know the the occult magical world but one of his books came into my keeping years ago i don't know how long ago it was it was the it was about the reversal magic and protection all of that and um that had so many great techniques in it when i was building my own magical repertoire and practice and it was really influential in my own furthering um in you know, my my personal work. So I've been keeping up with his books ever since and I didn't even know he was that like I knew I'm like the guy who has books, right? But then ever since he became involved in this event, I realized how popular he really is. I, I didn't know he was that big, <laughs> but I, I was like, well, the guy's written some books. The books were good. I appreciated his books. The workings worked. So, you know, he's a magician. That, that's all that mattered to me. I didn't realize he's sort of a, a magical superstar. And, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of a big deal. And I don't know that Gary was that, um, like, I don't know that you have been exposed to him that much before. So there was this con you know, the side conversation going on between us where he's like, who's Jason Miller. And then he's like, what, what is it? The, the, you know, the beer. And then Helene arts just found a bunch of other Jason Miller's out there who happened to be rabbis and all this other stuff. And so she was kind of fucking with him. <laughs> and then
2: <laughs> I was just laughing the whole time because I, I, uh, I thought it was just hilarious. The, uh, the prankster side of my personality that comes out during event planning. It's, I quite amuse myself sometimes.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: As long as you're having fun, that's all that matters, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, having fun and being productive, of course. Yeah. No stagnation allowed.
0: Yeah. And then um and then uh My- Michael Coulson, we his name came up earlier. Um can you can you talk a little bit about him?
1: Yeah, uh amazing amazing person and friend in Seattle, also a member of the OTO and longstanding um practitioner of magic and Uh, AA, I don't know if he'd qualify as an adept, he didn't call himself one, but he's been involved with that for quite a while, which is the actual uh, magical order within, or that isn't within the OTO, but is is, is closely associated. Um, And interestingly, which has been another theme that I've noticed with a lot of people involved in this event um, or even venues and, and anything that kind of touches it there there is often this simultaneous experience going on uh, in some realm of their experience where they're uh, or some some realm of their life where they're getting, um, what is it, like rejected by another group, or there is some sort of contrast going on between them and some other established norm, and they become the outsider. And so he's recently had some weird stuff going on with the OTO that um, he's, he's kind of become this figure, the adversary within a, a certain um, issue that- These are
2: the kind of people that we want to collect, you know? <laughs> Like we're you know, me, you, Michael, I know, one of our biggest influences, uh can I mention DRJ season? Yeah. Yeah, David Richard Jones, who's a, a massive influence, is is infamously um a scholar and a very opinionated one who will not side with either faction currently going on in OTO and AA. And he's is a a main beacon as far as I'm concerned. So I I think that kind of spirit is is the kind of person that we want at this event. So we're we're also having uh, Coyote the blind. Yeah.
0: So I think that's awesome. I'm so excited about that. Like his presentation uh last year was just <laughs> it just blew me away. Um I mean I had no idea. I had no idea what to expect. I hadn't seen him or talked to him before. I'd met him a little bit before like oh he's a really nice guy. And then he came up and he gave his thing and I mean he just he just transformed the whole the whole room and the whole mood himself with his whole
2: Well actually I thing. have to take I have to take halfway credit for that though. You're that even, was actually happening. So Yeah Gary okay.
1: Yeah. Know. Well yeah, it, it was the combination. So so Coyote is is a fucking magician and this is what I love about Coyote, who's been a long standing mentor and teacher of mine um, is that, you know, a lot of people can show up and talk about magic and they may or may not embody it, but like Coyote can show up and make the magic happen. And it's like, you know, he can shut the, the rational mind down and open up a space for people to experience real magic and not just sit there, you know, languaging about it. Um. Although the the modality that he uses is also through storytelling and its language, but he's he's using those words differently, and he's expressing something else through those words that aren't just uh, common conversation. And um and Gary, he he wanted he was thinking about having music as a backdrop to what he was doing because he likes to do all of these things where he's combining other art forms with his tellings now. And um he ended up talking to Gary, who was DJing. The event about possible combinations of music and gary was like i know the perfect thing and um he he combined two different coil tracks and actually I, four. Oh, four? Yeah. I, four. wow okay all at the same time but gary so this is the weird thing because coyote is <laughs> a tolteca right this gets really deep coyote is a fucking to- tolteca and gary has like the original fucking toltec uh dna like his mother gene is this, sh- it's like alien. It's from what is known, uh, or it, like it's recognized in the test. We both got our DNA tested, and he's got the mother gene of like, what is it, the M thing? It's like the alien M2B. mother gene.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: That, they're like, put, that they're like possibly of Atlantean origin. Um, <laughs> and So to me, when I saw them get together and do that, I was like, yes, I was like, it's like the original Atlantean DNA coming in, you know, to play with like this Tolteca, you know, magician, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that is fucking magic.
2: Yeah. And the beauty of that exchange was that it was completely unspoken. He came to me and said, I have an idea. I want you to do sound. And I said, I have an idea. I'm going to do sound. And I knew exactly what I was going to do already. What I, I did was I, I took all four tracks of Time Machines by coil, uh, which is meant to uh, act as the name suggests. Um, and I, I live mixed them across all four channels, uh, adjusting the stereo balance through the, the room. So I, I felt that was appropriate to enhance uh, the consciousness of everybody in the room to be more receptive and kind of carry his words on a current of vibrations that were tangible not just intellectual.
1: Yeah, so it was all intuited. And prior to that, Gary Garys known i had been working with Coyote for a while and he was never really a big fan. <laughs> so he wasn't even like an advocate of like Coyote, you know, like he was just like whatever. Um and, like he didn't follow Coyote's work. Like they'd never had any meeting before this to plan. Like both of them were just totally intuited and what Coyote does is also intuited in his tellings. Um he doesn't, you know, that's not scripted. There, there wasn't anything written out before that. Like he just showed up in that moment. He did have a talk planned that he ended up doing away with in the end. He changed his mind and he was like, no, I'm going to do a telling. And then he didn't even know what it was going to be about. And then, so yeah, they, they just show up in in the room together and the music gets going. Coyote gets going and the thing, it, it just, it turned into this explosive monumental transcendent experience
0: yeah it was quite extraordinary and, and after hearing all that uh, I, I'm just going to imagine that what happens this year is going to be even more intense I mean after all of that discussion right there you realize you've really set yourself up you know to, uh, you're going to have to really like go the extra mile to outdo yourself the expectation bar has just been raised really high
1: yeah, so the pressure's on Horse Cult, Amy, Amy Coyote, because Amy's doing it with him this year now. Like, they're planning that. Like, she reached out to him and wanted to do something with him. He's coming out this year, and so now they, they, they're they scheming something. Amy don't know. Amy,
0: Amy, know? Amy, from uh, – from
1: Amy from Horse Cult. Okay, from like, Horse
0: Cult. Yeah, the band. Yeah, that, she, okay.
1: yeah. Yeah, she, you know, I mean, people saw that, were really moved by the experience, and then, you know, she's been in contact with him ever since, wanting to follow up and do more with him, and then, yeah, I guess it all works out for that to happen at the event this year, so now they're in cahoots.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> well, so does he live, he lives in Portland then? He lives around there?
1: No, he lives in Riverside.
0: California? California?
1: Southern California, yes. yeah. Yeah,
0: oh, through yeah. the magic
2: of the internet, people can talk to each other now, yeah. so. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> Technology.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm particularly interested because I understand she's been working with some kind of sonic healing or uh, what is it season that she's been doing? Sun baths,
1: Something like that. She did this like death ritual a little like a couple months ago that I heard was pretty powerful. So I wasn't able to attend, but I heard it was like highly effective. So she was doing some meditation on death and it was combined with music. And I don't know all of the mechanics of it, though.
2: Oh, yeah, and I will be recording uh, Coyote's presentation from the sunboard this year, so if anybody wants to be on a record.
0: All right.
1: We're going to be recording everything this year. We're actually going to have somebody uh, at the event the whole time who's filming all of the presentations. We're, like, trying to go so pro, man. We're, like, refining every element of it where it can be refined, including having Paul as the host.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the host at the most.
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) which is super exciting, man. I'm so excited. Uh, thank you guys for, for putting that out there. I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be real. It's going to be fun.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I can't think of a better fit for our presentations.
0: So gonna be awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: So you guys got, um, you've also got Jessica Hall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's a, uh, female filmmaker, from Canada who uh, recently made a film about uh, somebody who was a friend of hers who was also a left hand path uh, practitioner and has recently died and that, that film ended up um, in a few different film festivals and then she's followed that one up with another one about Witch Hollow which is Helene Art's um, thing in Canada. and. I don't think that's been released yet, uh, but we're gonna be showing it at the event. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it'll be released by that time either. They're, they're short films, short documentary films. Um, and yeah, so she's gonna be showing these two short films and talking on their subject matter if people wanna explore that more.
0: I'm excited about that. So I've seen the the movie that she made about Kirby um, cause I knew Kirby. He was a good friend of mine. Um, I okay. actually had him on the, uh, on, on Damonosophy, um, you know, obviously before he, before he, uh, before he passed away. So, um, I'm excited that, that that's happening and that she, actually, this, this, uh, um, that was actually made by him the medallion the, the there. So, um, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. I think that's really cool. Um
1: did you find that episode? I hadn't seen that episode of yours.
0: Yeah, it's uh episode, okay. I don't know, 10 or something like that. You have to go back. You have to go back a little ways. It's all it's all audio. Um it's uh, if you go to the SoundCloud uh the SoundCloud uh Damon page, you can find it there. But yeah, I did a I did a uh interview with him um before he uh passed away and he talked about how I mean he was talk he talked very openly. I mean he was like this he was like this with everyone. Um, he was just very open about everything that was happening and and where he was going with it and and he was very positive about everything. Um, I, I encourage you I encourage you to go check out that 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 uh, conversation because it's just intense. Uh, he talks about how when he first heard about it, um, he talked about how this movie was made. Because uh, I think I think the whole the, the part of the whole story is that it's like the movie, I think the movie is made like right after he found out about it. I, I'm sure once I would. I'm sure Jessica Hall, she's there. She's going to talk about all the details of it. Um, but um, but di- yeah, during this interview, he talks about that whole experience and where he's going with everything. And so it's very 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 uh, very intense, very uh, interesting.
2: Maybe we can uh, sample some of that in one of our brew types.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that 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 is definitely a possibility. <laughs> um, let's see. So, what about uh, you've also got what Toby Chapel? Yes. So <laughs> I'm I, I'm excited about that. He's a good friend of mine. I've spoken with him at uh, different different things before. Um, so I know he's going to be really good. Um He's yeah. got he's got a book coming out on uh infernal infernal geometry i think is the name of it um i hope i'm repeating all this right or he'll get mad at me um but it's uh it's about you know the law of the trapezoid and you know say you know satanic uh numerology and 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 you know infernal geometry and all that stuff so i know that's going to be really cool
2: yeah i'm particularly interested in that and uh let's see we have diabolus rex
0: yeah that is so exciting.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just harvesting from all of your your show, your past um, <laughs> guests on Dimonosophy.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. I mean, I, I don't know. Everyone you know, knows the story for me. It's like I met him at the last Portland gathering that you all had um, at that bar Lovecrafts. Um, and... You know, I'd recognize I recognized him from seeing him around before, and I went up and said, "Hey, are you Diabolus Rex?" And he's like, "Yeah." And we just started talking, and so it's a I'm I'm really excited that he's like giving a presentation. So what is he doing? He's given a he's showing a a film about his.
1: Yeah, he's gonna have he wants a um, a certain type, and and I have to look back for the technical terminology for this. There's a particular type of animation. That he's gonna have done to uh, express and explain how his Ragnarok works. So Ragnarok
2: machine specifically,
0: yeah. yeah
1: his Ragnarok machine. So um, he's gonna like I, he's in contact with somebody who does animation now. Um, I. One of the other co-organizers happens to have a friend that works in animation. So when he said he needs to find somebody who does animation, you know, um, we were very quickly able to give him a lead on that. And so I don't know how that's going yet. But, um, yeah, we're, you know, the plan is to have that finished and show that at the event so that everyone can see how that works and understand the dynamics visually.
2: That's, that's demonstrating a principle that I'm very happy like normal people who like you know have no interest in in the occult or the left-hand path or anything like that and people like us are usually so far and few between or so few and far between that we don't get the chance
0: so, tell everyone how they can find out more information about black flame pdx and how they can go to it
2: Definitely check out our website at blackflamepdx.org. You can also find us on Facebook. We have an event page as well as a group page for attendees.
0: Awesome. And they can get tickets there?
2: Yeah. The tickets are available for purchase through PayPal on the site. Um, The uh, pricing I will defer to season on. It's,
1: 156 for the conference only, um, and that would be attendance to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday events, excluding the Saturday night events, uh, which is being dubbed slightly differently as Lux Knox, as compared to Lux X Tenebris, um, which is the the conference portion of the event. Uh, so Lux Knox will be held at a different venue than where the main presentations are taking place um it's going to be at um more of like a a bar and event space and it'll be open to the public um and admission to that is twenty dollars or uh included with the entire conference would be 175 as compared to 156. It's currently 156 in pre-sell for the whole event, including all X, Tenebrous, and Lux-Nox, uh endeavors, but that ends on the 1st. So I don't think this will air before then, so that will be obsolete information.
2: Yeah, and part of what I love about the way that we're structuring this is, you know, we can have people who don't, have any particular attachment to the speakers by a pass just for the music and performance art, or vice versa? We have options for whatever your level of interest is, whether it's purely authors, purely artists, whatever we got you covered. If you like the whole shebang, we got you.
0: That's awesome. My so my my personal advice to people who are thinking about going to this would be to get the whole package and go to everything Absolutely. to get yeah I go to everything don't try and pick and choose <laughs> i mean maybe if you live in portland and you're like oh no, well i can just you know it's just but if you're gonna like travel to go to this go to the whole the whole thing and one of the <laughs> unique things about um what you guys are doing and because you did this last year is that you're incorporating music into it and that's like really important because uh the whole timing of it, you go through this uh, process of you know doing some magic and hearing some speakers and all of this and, and you know, all these ideas build up all these interactions all this energy like builds up and then and then you have this opportunity with music and you can just like you know shake it all out and can I repeat a, a
1: question oh yeah. sorry yeah cause like last year you were talking about why why magicians or left hand path magicians and music, and and last year I was like in interpreting that question in a more general or broad sense as being art, like why art, and then I was like sitting with why music though for I don't know like you know some time after that, and what came to me in response to that question in in a more specific leaning was. Um, that music is the only medium where you can of of art where you can actually alter the space like you can touch the space through the the sound waves you can change the space with the sound waves and you can do that with your voice as well but when you're doing it musically it also accesses different states of mind so it's not it doesn't have to only um, penetrate or or access or activate the rational thinking mind, it it activates and accesses other parts of, um, you know, our like consciousness and it can enhance and bring those about as well as actually being able to touch the space through the sound waves and um, create its own atmosphere. Whereas if you're looking at a piece of visual art, it's like, okay, that can affect you internally you can, have, you can perceive that and have your own experience with it. But it's not necessarily going to change the whole space and touch everything and everyone around you and create an atmosphere. It's not like unfolding whatever parts you put into the music into the room and making those two things uh, come together in that moment.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to say you can close your eyes, but you can't close your ears, at least not effectively. And also Yukio Mishima is famous for saying there's nothing so akin to life as music.
1: Even if even if you close your ears, though, even if your ears are plugged, like the sound waves will still touch your body.
2: Still affected, yeah.
1: Astral, yeah.
2: Especially so, if you're operating on the sound level uh, and sound frequencies that are utilized by an odd or an aid. Uh, those those guys are just masters at what they do. They 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 completely can transport one's consciousness into the astral in mere seconds.
1: Yeah, and they're from Germany and have this. Gary was just going into uh, it you know, before we were recording, but um, they're, they're into Fraternus Saturni, and Gary knows more about their history with that than I do, but um, it's a longstanding uh, magical German order that also was known to be a sort of Luciferian um, uh, evolution of the OTO in a way that became somewhat adversarial to the OTO and has all kinds of weird shit going on, including, like, an alien uh <laughs> what is the alien figure they um do ritual ritual yeah. around
2: <laughs> yeah it's an alien bust that they use um i think i've got a picture of that guy
1: yeah, alien yeah. that they do like ritual uh circle jerks too <laughs> uh,
0: yeah yeah that's uh that's um that's the guy <laughs> or that's the big uh, um. Fraternus Saturna guy. So, so um, it, it, you're familiar with that book, Fire and Ice? hmm So like the whole mm-hmm. story about that that I heard um, was that um, you know, Stephen Flowers was his, – his, his, his plan was to write his, – his, he was doing his like, thesis on, um, on Gnosticism. And it's like that, or Hermetic Magic. And that later, many years later, came out as his book, Hermetic Magic. But that was the main thing he was working on. And he was like in Germany on a train or something and had a conversation with a guy. And the guy ended up being like the um, in the Fraternus Saturni, or one of the surviving members of it, who had all this documentation. And, and from that, and he talks about this in the book, uh, Fire and Ice, um, that and, and from that He went and wrote the book Fire and Ice, and continued to go on this whole thing about runes. Like his whole direction, then you know, then he did uh, Futhark and all of his other rune stuff, and went through this this whole like, um, I guess what initially a detour, which turned into a huge like life work type thing, and then much later came back and said, okay, then he came back and did the Hermetic Magic thing. but yeah, no, that's exciting. I did not know that about that band. Um, and and, and that's, that's really intense um, that they're you know, creating some art uh, representations of that.
2: Correct. And they, they, that was one of their influences about 10 years ago, and they've actually moved on to working directly with Astral Forces. Um, the most recent album is called The Nine Colors of the Threshold, um, which is essentially like each track is uh, operating on a different wave of aether, so to speak a different frequency to transport you as aforementioned.
0: And so we're going to see these guys if we go to Portland, right?
1: I don't even know when the last time they were in the States was. So this is especially I don't
2: don't know that they've ever played in the States to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Wow. They've been heroes to heroes to people like myself for, you know, I'm not interested so much in conventional music, but we're interested in what sound can do. I consider myself a sound engineer before uh, being a musician, you know, and uh, innate or an odd, however you want to pronounce it have been like the unattainable goal. Like we want to, we want to have a hope that one day they'll come to the States. Well, I said, well, we've just had somebody unmentionable bail on, on our concert. So why don't I just, Get an to come over here. I'll just do it. Yeah, and that's how you get things done in the left hand path. You don't wait for somebody else to do it for you. You just go and do it.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah! Well, that's awesome, man. I'm 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 really like uh, amazed with everything that you guys are doing. So, let's um let's let's uh round this all off with some actual music then. So tell tell us uh, tell us about what we're going to hear next.
2: So. Our, uh, our project is Brut Entropy, and we are, I guess you can consider us somewhere at the intersection of death industrial power electronics and avant-garde punk, uh, with spoken word or spoken weird, as delivered by a seasoned coal. Um, I personally play a Korg MS-20 semi-modular synthesizer and uh, an Arturia uh, microbrute, drum machine through some heavy distortion we operate in a sphere of influence that rejects music theory working purely with intuition channeling Jung through noise
0: all right awesome well guys thanks for coming on here and enlightening us on what's going to be going down in the city of portland in april Really excited about it. I'm hoping everyone who's listening to this is going to try and be there. I'm going to be there. And I'm going to leave you all with the dark sounds of bu gentropy. The 3 how entropy.
2: entropy. <laughs> <pretty> entropy. <laughs> that is cross-language, <laughs>
0: Doug, the Black Flame Tarot, then you've got to have the Black Flame Tarot book. The Black Flame Tarot An Invocation of Fire, guidebook for the Black Flame Tarot deck, written by Jennifer and Paul McAtee, with a foreword by Don Webb. The Black Flame Tarot is a magical working and a powerful tool for divination. This book explores different ways of working with the deck. And also discusses the origins, ideas, and inspiration that have contributed to its creation. For people interested in the Tarot and Left Hand Path ideas, this book will help you maximize your personal growth, connect with your inner reality, and offer practical tips and techniques for problem solving and making decisions in everyday situations. Visit lulu.com and search Black Flame Taro now to get your copy. You will not regret it.